Young, black, and widowed. And no, we're not talking about the usual classification of young widows. We're talking about millennials and Gen Z. That's right, 20-somethings and 30-somethings, like myself, who lost their spouse just as life seemed to be beginning. I'm your host, Azure Johnson Redman, Executive Director of the new nonprofit Young, Black, and Widowed Incorporated. Today, we will be talking about what it's like to be young, black, and widowed with autistic children. I have with me Taya Dunn Johnson. She is from Baltimore, Maryland, and she is the Vice President of the Autism Society in Baltimore, Chesapeake. She helps mentor parents of newly diagnosed children with autism. She was selected as 2020 Maryland Mother of the Year by American Mothers Incorporated. She works full-time at the National Institute of Health. She is a blogger, speaker, and published author of the memoir, Listen to Your Mother, What She Said Then and What She's Saying Now. And she is the mother to a wonderful autistic boy. Taya, how are you doing today? Hi, Azaray. I'm pretty good today. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. I'm so glad that you're here because through COVID and everything, even though I am based in Chattanooga and you are in Maryland, really, you've become my mentor for having a child with autism too. Could you tell me a little bit about what happened when you found out your child had autism and when you were widowed and just that story? Sure. Hey, everyone. So I am a 44-year-old woman. I live in Baltimore, Maryland. I actually dated and married my high school sweetheart. So we were together from 11th grade uh, until his death, so 20 years. We had a child and a beautiful boy named Marcus. And at the age of two, he was diagnosed with autism. Around a year or so, he wasn't crawling he wasn't really trying to talk much. He didn't like to eat too much. And a few small things just kind of tipped us off that something was up. Spoke to my pediatrician, who was a wonderful, wonderful doctor who was only a few months from retiring. But to our credit and, to, you know, um, it was a blessing, really. She had already retired from uh, Boston Children's Hospital and she was finishing out her career at Johns Hopkins here in Baltimore. And so she was really quick at 13 months to say, let's get you on the wait list to get him screened for autism. At the time, I was completely unfamiliar. My only real point of reference was the movie Rain Man, because this is 2011. So you figure after 2010, things have changed a lot since then. But in 2010, my experience with autism was very limited beyond you know what you saw in a few movies, or you heard a little bit in the distance, but it wasn't really mainstream, especially in the black community in 2010. So, but I was on board. My mother and I started uh, doing some research. I made the appointment. I was put on an eight month wait list to uh, have him diagnosed and tested. And he got diagnosed a week after his second birthday. So our lives, you know, changed. He was our only child. And my late husband and I, you know, sort of jumped in and said, well, what do we got to do? I found myself, you know, on a, a team. You know, my husband was confused and 
you know, unsure of how he moved forward, but we knew that we wanted to provide him with whatever we needed to do to, uh, you know, give him the best life possible. Then my dream team was cut short. My partner in crime, my husband, um, died a year and a half later when, when our son was three and a half. So he died suddenly and I found myself widowed. Uh, I was 35 years old. My son was three and a half. He was nonverbal, meaning he didn't talk. And I had no clue what to do with my life. I had never pictured a future without my husband. Uh, we had been together 20 years, as I said, since I was 15 years old. So in no scenario in my head did I imagine you know, our life being cut short at that moment in time. And so I was forced to forge forward uh, on my own with our son. And ultimately, you know, through the strength of my community, my therapist, prescription medication in the beginning to help, and my writing and my advocacy, I realized that grief would continue for the rest of my life. But if I stayed in an active state of grief, as opposed to an active healing cycle, that I would probably be miserable and that now as the sole parent to my son, I'd probably screw his life up. <laughs> so I decided not to. And here we are. <laughs> and tell us a little bit about what you do now as vice president of the Autism Society in Baltimore, Chesapeake in Maryland. Yes. Yeah, so I joined the society uh, about a year and a half after that, when he was about five years old when he was going, getting ready to start kindergarten. And I realized that there was still a great unknown about autism in terms of how to directly support families, how to get the resources that people need into the hands of those that need them. There was a huge gap in what services were available who to contact for those services, how to get those services, how to apply for them, things of that nature. And there wasn't really, what I could tell, a real umbrella focus to say, okay, here's, here's what you do. You get diagnosed, step one, step two, step three, step four, because each individual is different. So um, I did a little research and I found the Autism Society of Baltimore Chesapeake. And I realized that they were in the gap. They were trying to fill that need. So we are an all-volunteer driven nonprofit. The Autism Society of America is national, and we are an independent affiliate uh, nonprofit here in Baltimore, Chesapeake. And so our, our goal, rather, is to serve families who are affected by autism across the lifespan. So that's children, teenagers, adults, etc. We do that by offering monthly support group meetings. We do, well, pre-COVID, let's say, we did uh, monthly outings, places where families with autism could come and enjoy social settings. So everything from renting out movie theaters and then playing movies that would have their sensory features controlled. Like we would have the lights on, we would turn the sound down, and we welcome people to move around during a movie. So, you know, there are a lot of families who don't take outings or things of that nature because they're afraid that their child's behavior will not be acceptable to the masses. But we welcome people and their families to come and have dinner with us and do things of that nature. So we provide other resources, we counsel, uh, and we connect people to services in the community. 
So I've been now on the board for about six years and I love it and appreciate it. And, and just like being able to make someone feel a little less alone, you know, receiving an autism diagnosis can be very overwhelming. And so part of what we do with society is remind people that we're here. You're not alone. We're all currently doing this and we're in some, you know, level of, you know, hope and chaos at the same time. <laughs> and so we try to fill that gap and make people. And I can definitely attest to that because I consider you my mentor, especially in this COVID situation, since I have a just turned four-year-old who wasn't actually diagnosed until a little after he was three with severe level three autism. And of course, he has ABA therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy, feeding therapy, all of the above at a beautiful sort of a special needs loving preschool in downtown called Siskin Children's Institute. And a lot of the things that they do up in Maryland, they also do with the Chattanooga Autism Center here in, in Chattanooga. But as a whole, for everybody out there, whether they live in Maryland or they live in Chattanooga or Chattanooga, Tennessee, or just around the United States, what do you think would be the best advice for someone who really has just received that diagnosis as a widow and is just fearful for the future? Because you really helped me. Yeah, that's it's hard. There are so many levels. But above all, I would say, you know, living with grief as a widow, uh, you know, you're starting to navigate the famous phrase, the new normal. <laughs> starting to see what your life looks and feels like without the person who you thought would partner with you for more years than you got, most of us. And typically, you know, since we're talking about young, we also tend to have young children. And so being widowed with young children is a, is a particular dynamic. And when you add on uh, autism, uh, the dynamic becomes even more complicated. So what I would say is first and foremost, take a deep breath. <laughs> you know, I, I think that sometimes run on, we're running on empty, you know, where we're exhausted, we're frustrated, we're mad, we're hurt, we, we don't know which way to turn and we're overwhelmed. And sometimes just taking a step back, taking a deep breath and focusing on the 30 seconds in front of you, the 60 seconds in front of you. I use the Calm app a lot with my son and uh, I use it on my own as well because it gives me a moment to just breathe and push everything else to the outside. I like to, one of the- I love that app Don't you, you just have to I because I think that the noise around us gets so loud. Sometimes between the overthinking in our own heads <laughs> and the noise around us, we can all go a little, a little nutty sometimes. And so I think that, you know, if you're already oh, dealing yeah. with the phases of grief as a young widow, and you um, get struck with an autism diagnosis, oftentimes, you know, you feel yourself spiraling further down. And the overwhelming thing I would like to say is that, you know, you are your child's advocate. And now without your partner, you're your child's mm -hmm. primary advocate. And so I think sort of embracing what that really means and giving yourself a framework for action is how I, I try to help most new parents and especially young widows. So the idea is that, you know, although you are the solo parent at this point and you are the primary advocate, you don't have to do it alone. 
And I think that that is one of the things that I, I repeat over and over and over. You don't have to do it alone. Now, is every resource readily available to you? No. Is there, are there going to be people who are just dying to, you know, help you and, and, and want something for nothing? Maybe not. But the idea is that there is a community out there. So how you position yourself to find a community is through a few things. Right now, obviously, COVID has everything slightly changed, depending on where you live in the country. But, you know, online, there are definitely resource groups and um, social media groups and just communities of other parents who are going through the same thing. Between Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest alone, you can find people, you know, search for your city, type the word autism, see what comes up, you know, type your city or your state and special needs, see what comes up. That's, you know, a first line of defense. If your child is school age, you know, uh, every school will have, or every school system has an office of special education. Every school or every couple of schools, they could be in a, a conglomerate together. They all have IEP coordinators, which is the person that helps to administer your child's education plan. Talk to them about the other parents in your network. Although they can't give you information um, in terms of private confidential information, you can say things such as, you know, my son is getting ready to enter your school or my son is in your school and he's in X grade. You know, can you please help me connect with other parents in this grade whose children, you know, might be affected as well? And they can, you know, connect you with those parents and, and you guys can try to form a relationship. The Autism Society has chapters in every state. Some states have more than one chapter, depending because they're regional. So, you know, look up that and see what's going on there. You can go to your state's developmental and disabilities network. Almost every state has one of those. And you can look up, you know, see what organizations are local to you to see how you can find some resources. So all that to say, there's a ton of stuff out there. and it's overwhelming because you are the one that has to find it. <laughs> That's what I mean about taking a step back and taking a deep breath. You don't have to do it all today. And if you need help, yeah. you know, call us, our nonprofit, Young, Black, and Widowed Incorporated at 423-401-9274. And one of the things that we can do is also help you try and find resources, even for that situation in your area as well, too. Absolutely, and I'm happy to help. Um, so we're always Absolutely. here uh, from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day to help. So definitely give us a call, too. Yeah, if anybody contacts, you know, the foundation and, and as it reaches out to me, I'm happy to help, you know, anyone, especially if you're having frustration or you're having a hard time finding resources in your state or, you know, just needing someone to talk to to kind of help you through. You know, my son is 11 now, so I've been at this for eight and a half years. <laughs> I'm not a pro. Uh, I don't think you ever do become such, but I've definitely learned some of the ins and outs of the system, both medical, educational, and social. So I'm always happy to help uh, someone else to navigate their way through. And then how have things changed? Because we talked about this a little bit, but for that parent who is having to navigate this system within COVID, mm -hmm. within the global pandemic, it shut down a lot of things. Some things are starting to start back up, but some people are feeling like they're a little bit in the dark because 
just whittled in a global pandemic with a special needs child. Do you have any advice or suggestions for them to help their spirits stay up while they're trying to navigate maybe not having school or in some places still not having therapies available to their child due to being on that wait list that then got extended due to COVID? Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, again, I'd go back to my one statement, you're not alone. You know, there's definitely the increased challenge for those parents who have received a diagnosis, I'd even say as far back as September of 2019. So to say for the last year or so, you're just getting your diagnosis, you're just getting your child established in some kind of program or routine. You thought you had a plan and then COVID. So what do you do? Um, you know, whether your child is school age or not. And I fell into you that. You fell into category. that, right. You did. You're you're in that you're in that void. And yes, my my preschooler was supposed to start special needs preschool the day that everything in our state shut down, which was March 3rd. Timing. So if you can imagine, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have relief. Everything's going to be wonderful. Mm-hmm. I had this little first day of school mm-hmm. sign all made up with a big 13th on mm-hmm. there. He, I mean, he didn't know anything because he was, he's just a baby, but we were so gun ho And then when I Though I do think that everything that we tried to do to mitigate the pandemic was necessary, Mm -hmm. that's the first time I felt like I had lost all hope Mm -hmm. because the one hope I had that someone could help me and change my child's life, it felt like it was gone. Mm -hmm. And then with the social distancing, it felt like I can't really leave my house and I have a special needs child. And at this point... I know I can't help him and now no one can come in and help them and I can't take him anywhere to get help and I don't know how long it's going to be. So for those widows who might still be in a similar situation, I would just say, hang in there. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe try, it's really hard to say, try telehealth Mm -hmm. when specifically children with autism have a hard time with eye contact, et cetera, et cetera. Telehealth, sometimes for me, it helped just enough for me to get an idea of what to do. And it helped Mm -hmm. a little bit to have that one person to talk to. If you are in that situation, I would say definitely do consider it. But obviously the in-person services are going to be whenever they come back for your area. Absolutely. Now that they've been deemed essential is really what is has made the biggest impact on my child's life. Mm-hmm. My child was also mostly nonverbal and he has in the last few months learned to say he's turned just four. He's learned to say eat Yay. and mama <laughs> and though those are just single individual words for a four-year-old that is so far and so much change and so different from when he almost he could speak and sing, but he couldn't actually communicate with mm-hmm. me at all. So when you do get those services, they are life changing. They are. And um, my child is happier for it. I think that um, you know, one thing that is is universal among parents, but I definitely think it's stronger among um, the widowed is that 
once your entire life has sort of blown up, you know, once you become widowed, once once the crack in your happily ever after occurs, we understand in a completely different way than other people that life is short and that we have to appreciate every moment. But how do you then do that when you're overwhelmed on every other front, particularly with a child that mm-hmm. is behind where they may be, you know, developmentally behind their age range, et cetera, things like that. But I think that we have learned and we have to remember to take comfort in the smallest things. Like you said, two words to a parent of a typical child, two words, okay, big deal, what's the big deal? But two words to the mother of a nonverbal child at the age of four, those two words, they sound like heaven. You know, hearing your child communicate with you one on one, that feels like the biggest gift in the world. And I think that gift becomes doubled when, again, we've seen the depths of despair and pain after losing our spouse. And then you are a mother's heart is broken by the fact that you can't give your child everything that they need. So when they have small victories, they become big victories. And I think one of the things that I I try to help uh, parents uh, adjust with when they get new autism diagnoses is that your child's potential and your child's path is very individual. And so in the same way that you'd be, you know, nurturing, you know, your tomato garden versus your neighbor's tomato garden is figure out what is going to work for your garden. Figure out ways to be happy with whatever your tomatoes yield and stop looking over the fence at your neighbor's tomatoes because he's not sharing anyway, you know? So I say this because (laughs) I think that oftentimes we see developmental charts and developmental markers and we say, okay, well, you know, my child's five and he's getting ready to go to kindergarten and he's still wearing diapers or, you know, he's he or she's still not able to, you know, hold a fork, hold a spoon, do those different kind of things. But what are they able to do? What progress have you seen in the last week, the last month, the last year? You know, looking for, you know, the kinds of victories and the kind of progress for your child's path is really important as opposed to comparing your child to another child, you know, Each of our children is full of potential and finding the right resources and the right pieces to help your child completely fulfill their potential. That's your role as advocate. And and your role is is to love and support and find resources. And so, uh, you know, I want I I, I caution people to try not to be so hard on themselves. You know, I especially see this with widows because as the solo parent, it's all on your shoulders. And so, you know, you take mm-hmm. every moment of discouragement and every every no and everything becomes magnified because it's just you, you know. And so I often see a lot of guilt. You know, I see a lot of, you know, increased pressure to, you know, not make any mistakes, do the right thing. What am I doing wrong? I'm going to mess up my child, things of that nature. And also... Also pressure from family, Absolutely. too, who might not understand the autism diagnosis. Absolutely. That has been, that can be a very difficult thing, too. That's a hard one. When other people might say, well, it's just a behavioral mm-hmm. issue. It's just, if you just did this X, Y, Z better. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe if they 
the my favorite one is, well, maybe if they had a father, mm-hmm. they would behave better. And it's very crushing yeah. when a person, yeah. you know, says that yeah. to you, even in passing, that it's like, no, this is a, a special needs situation. Mm-hmm. And to just build your own confidence that you are doing everything for your child. Mm-hmm. You are, as Taya just said, that child's advocate and you are doing amazing. Mm-hmm. And to appreciate those tiny little steps of progress that you make and celebrate them because you are doing the best, the absolute best for your child. Absolutely. And if you need help getting those resources, again, give us a call, send us a message or chat. We're about out of time, but I did want to say thank you so much, Taya, for talking with us. Uh, Taya is a wonderful, wonderful resource for all things autism. And if you needed to speak with her in the future, again, you can contact Young Black and Widowed Inc. and we'll get you in touch. If you would like to join our community, Young Black and Widowed Inc., the nonprofit, feel free to go to our website, www.youngblackwidowed.org, or find us on Facebook. 